It was really nice. I enjoyed that. And, uh, I went to a pastor's meeting today, and there are a lot of churches that are struggling to um, find just one piano player, let alone two. And um, we're just so um, lucky, uh, blessed to have what we have. Um, and uh, to uh, be able to know all those songs from your heart and, uh, and be ready to play among a moment's notice, um, that speaks to a lifetime of service. All right, so we are uh, continuing through the book of Jonah. And we're going to finish it all up tonight. Um, Jonah has uh, run away from God. He's been uh, swallowed by a whale. Um, He uh, finally uh, submitted to God in prayer. And now he's got to go eat that nasty old green bean and go to Nineveh. And so uh, that's where we find Jonah tonight. Um, So uh, we'll start reading. We'll dip out of it a little bit, but we're going to start uh, reading at Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And they all lived happily ever after. Right? Most um, children's books with uh, Jonah and the whale, that is right where the story ends. Um, The message of of God's forgiveness and mercy. Uh, Jonah ran away. He came back, he preached to the Ninevites, and the Ninevites accepted that word, and um, everyone lived happily ever after. Jonah had learned his lesson. Only, there's a whole other chapter. (laughs) Jonah hasn't learned his lesson. See, Jonah has experienced grace in his own life, uh, Jonah has been saved from the fish. He's prayed his prayer. He's, he's received God's mercy, but he has not yet learned a lesson that that same mercy that extends to Jonah extends to everyone else as well. And so in chapter 4, 
But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah's throwing a little bit of a hissy. Um, he's uh, kind, of being, uh, kind of being a drama queen, right? Um, it is better for me to die than to live, right? Um, Jonah isn't gigging his way, and so now he just wants to die, right? Um, Jonah's being a tad bit dramatic the way we all can from time to time. But he says, I knew, God, you were going to do this. I knew you were going to send me to Nineveh. I knew you were going to get me all riled up and, and, and I was going to proclaim this message of judgment. And, uh, and, and then you were just going to change your mind. You were just going to relent and you're going to make me look like a fool for, uh, for marching through the street for three days, proclaiming judgment, and then you're not even going to do anything. Then he says, because I knew this all along, right? Remember, we talked about this last night. Jonah never said any of things to God that now he's saying he said to God, right? When God told Jonah uh, to go, he doesn't respond. He doesn't do anything, right? He just gets on a boat and goes in the opposite direction. But now he's saying... I told you all along, from the very beginning, I knew you were going to do this. This is why I left to begin with, because I knew you're compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, right? He says it like it's a bad thing, right? Ah, so compassionate, so merciful. Why can't you be like wrathful like some of those other gods? hurl a thunderbolt every now and then, right? He says it like it's a bad thing. You know where that phrase comes from? The Lord is compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We, uh, we learned about it um, earlier this year, way back when we were, uh, when we were doing the book of Exodus. And um, it was right after the uh, Hebrew children had, um, they had built this golden calf and they were bowing down to it and, um, and, and, and God got very angry about that, right? Because of their idolatry. Remember, we actually had a golden calf in here, right? Um, God got so, so angry about this and um, he didn't wipe the people out. But it seemed like Moses had to talk him down a little bit. Moses goes up to the mountain, and, um, and God's like, y'all can just go on to the promised land without me. I'm going to stay here on this mountain. And Moses, uh, it seems like he talks him down a little bit, although I think God was trying to teach Moses something important. But here's the next thing that happens. Moses wants a sign from God that he's going to be with them when they go into the promised land. And so God has Moses hide in the cleft in the rock, 
and he says, my glory is going to pass before you. Uh, but you, but you, can't, you can't see me coming. You can only see me going. And as uh, the glory is passing before Moses, God says, I am the Lord. I am compassionate. I am merciful. I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. See, God says that in response to the Israelites' idolatry. In, in response to their rebellion, he displays his grace. We get this kind of dichotomy sometimes, this kind of a false choice between two things. We, we say, you know, um, the, uh, the God of the Old Testament, that's the angry, vengeful God, right? But the God of the New Testament, that's, um, that's the loving God. We say that sometimes. That is actually a heresy. <laughs> You're actually not supposed to say that. Like it's very unorthodox because God is God is God is God. The same today as he is tomorrow as he was back then, right? God has always, from the very beginning, had this character of compassion. He has always revealed himself as merciful and abounding instead fast love. It shows up again in this psalm, and I learned from my mistake. I actually marked it, so I'm all ready to go. Um, it's Psalm 103. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Psalm 103, some of the songs, psalms, they start out nice, and then they take kind of, a, kind of an ugly turn, but, but this is a really good one. If you just want to sit and meditate on this psalm and read this, um, this would be great in your prayer time. But Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That is what God is like. It's been there all along, right? And Jonah knows that, and he says it like it's a bad thing. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were going to mess all this up with your God of love stuff. Um, we've, got this, uh, we've got this little kid at Central. And I kind of miss, um, uh, we used to do children's church uh, during church time at Central. And um, one day, uh, it was just uh, me and the children's minister, Wendy, and uh, this little kid named Chance. 
And, uh, and, and so we sort of let Chance lead that morning. He led us into prayer. Uh, he uh, um, uh, led us sort of in circle time. And then when it came time for the lesson, we said, hey, Chance, why don't you tell us one of your favorite Bible stories? Now, I was thinking like David and Goliath, um, Daniel and the lion's den, something like that. And Chance stands up, gets all preacher-like, and says, I'm going to tell y'all about Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> now, Sodom was an evil town, and all of those people in that town was evil, and God rained fire and hailstones on them and killed them all. And then you know what? All those people went to hell. <laughs> Wendy and I were just <laughs> looking at each other like, what do we do with that? <laughs> Where do we go from there? That's his favorite story. You know, for some Christians, that is their favorite story. That's the thing they want to talk about all the time, right? This God of judgment and this God of anger. And there's some of that in here, right? But the majority of this is good news. I'm not saying there's no bad news in there. You can find it. But the majority of this is good news. And you sit in some churches and listen to some preachers and they talk over and over and over about this wrath and this judgment. And you, you, you get the impression from them that that's all that this book is about. Right? But that's their favorite story. But that's only the first part of the story. I say this in Bible study all the time. Anytime you're reading in the Bible and it seems like bad news, hang on. The good news is just around the corner. That's only the beginning of the story. Because the whole witness of Scripture, the whole Bible reveals a God who is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, let's continue. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sagging its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and make it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. Then the sun rose. God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God says twice to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And I think this is a question that the church writ large needs to deal with right now. Is it right for us to be angry? I don't know if you've noticed, we're, we're kind of getting that rap out in the culture as a people that are constantly angry about one thing or another. More often than not, Christians are defined by what they're against more than who they're for. We get this kind of angry reputation. We kind of get this reputation of these, these people that their favorite story is anger and judgment that have sort of forgotten all about the compassionate and merciful slogan, anger and abounding and steadfast love part, right? And so people look at the church and they don't always see Jesus because they see anger. And we can think of plenty of reasons to be angry. It seems like, uh, like our influence on the world, at least in the United States of America, just, just seems to be waning a little bit. And, and it feels like, a, feels like we're losing our grip on the culture a little bit. Things out there seem a little bit more crass than they did when we were kids. And it's easy to get angry about that kind of thing and to stand up on our hill and, and look over all of it and just stew. But Nineveh doesn't get saved because we're angry. Nineveh doesn't get saved because we're hurling rocks down on it. God is calling us to go to Nineveh and preach the good news. God doesn't... doesn't in this story, stand on the mountain and stew over Nineveh in anger. God, in, in, in the book of Jonah, is constantly in the mix. He's constantly, he's, he's providing the whale, the worm, the storm, the east wind. He's in the middle of all of it. He's making things happen. He's not just sitting around and stewing. And the thing is, is if the church is, is up on the hill and we're just looking down and, and, and we're just fussing about everything, just angry all the time, then we miss being a part of what God's doing. Because God's not singing up on the mountain stewing with us. God is in the mix. God is busy making things happen. And far too often... We're defined as Christians by our anger, when what should define us is our joy, our excitement, our, our love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People should know us as they knew the early church. They said, look at how they love one another. They should know us in the same way, but far too often we're defined by our anger what that does to us as a church 
is we wind up like Jonah at the end of the book of Jonah. We wind up being in this place where we care more about the shade above our own head than about what's going on down in the world. We become insular. We become this people that sort of look inward and we're, we're worried about preserving what we have and we're not thinking about what's going on out in the world and how we can be a part of the solution instead of just angry all the time. I served a church as a youth and children's minister in North Carolina. And um, one of our biggest events all year was trunk or treat. See, we were situated um, right on the main drag of town. And when we had our trunk or treat, we had uh, people came from neighborhoods uh, to come to our trunk or treat. I mean, we had like 500, 600 uh, kids come through um, on Halloween night when we did our trunk or treat. So it was always a shock to me um, when uh, it would be September and we'd start talking about trunk or treat again and uh, everyone would want to call it off. And they all have their reasons, you know. Um, uh, you know, uh, it, it's Halloween. Halloween's a secular holiday and it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. That, that, that was one of them. Um, uh, it, one of the reasons was, uh, it, it's just so much work and, and we've never made a new member out of it, you know? And, uh, and so what's the point? Well, being a children's minister, I kind of knew when I had vacation Bible school at this church, I had 50 kids. When I had trunk or treat, I had 500, 600 kids go through that building. Like it was a no-brainer to me that this was a thing that was worth doing. But I took all the criticisms to heart and I said, okay, let's fix this thing. It's too secular um, and uh, we've never made any new members out of it. And so uh, one September I came up with this new plan and I was so excited to present it to everybody. All right, we, this year we are doing All Saints Trunk or Treat, okay? Um, we're we're going to have the trunks outside like uh, we normally have, um, and then we used to have this carnival that you would kind of go through after, you got, after you'd done the trunks. And um, by the way, I'm acting like you all know what Trunk or Treat is. You all know what Trunk or Treat is? Okay, I won't describe it to you, but basically you serve candy out of your trunks and kids come through in their costume. Anyways, uh, you go, uh, go through this carnival and I said, so for All Saints Trunk or Treat, we are going to have all of, we're going to redo all of our carnival games so that they're, uh, they're, they're Bible themed. Okay, so um, you'll do one where you're putting and you're like, you're putting your ball through the Red Sea. Um, we'll, we'll do one where, where you have a slingshot and you try to uh, knock the head off the giant kind of a thing. So we'll do all like Bible theme, okay? And what we'll do is when people come through that door, we're, we're going to have a uh, little jar of candy corn and you can guess how, much, uh, how many pieces of candy corn are in that jar. Um, but when you do that, you're going to have to give us your name and your address so that we can send you your, you know, your card that you wing it if you wing it and then that way we can take all these names and addresses and we can invite these kids 
to uh, Vacation Bible School next year. I was amped. I had met like all of their problems and in one like like a big solution. And I, I just knew that as soon as I presented this, like there was going to be confetti, people were going to be throwing me a party, and they were going to say, this, uh, at this church, this day is going to be Danny Nettleton Day from here on out because of <laughs> this thing you brought us. So I got done uh, presenting this. And I sa- said, you know, the, the coup de grace, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the crowning part of this. Now we're going to invite all of these kids to come through here for Vacation Bible School. And one of the women looked across the table from me. And she is a woman that I love dearly and I still consider a friend. But she looked across the table from me and she said, you know, there are some of these kids we may not want to invite here. I'm telling you, I had heard of things like that, but I had never actually experienced that before. And I wish I could say that I said something heroic, but I was just stopped in my tracks. Some of these kids we might not want here in the kingdom of God. And then I suddenly realized, like I was just just like, you know, um, yokel from Kentucky. I didn't get it. I didn't get what this was really about. I took all the surface reasons for not having this thing. This is really about not wanting the neighborhood kids tracking through the church, which was really about not wanting the black and brown kids in the church. Suddenly I understood it. I didn't say a word. I didn't have words to say. But I was thinking, and I'm sorry this might be crass, but I mean it in every dimension of the word. I was thinking, then what the hell are we doing here? What the hell are we doing here? See, when we become this church, it's just, just, just looking in that could care less about what's going on down on the foot of the mountain, that we just care about the shade over our own head then we are not involved in making the kingdom. We're involved in making the other place. We are not involved in doing Jesus' work. We're involved in doing the other guy's work. What the hell are we doing here? But the good news that God isn't like us. The good news is that God is compassionate. He's merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And if you and I, church, follow God's direction, we can be too. You and I, church, follow God's direction. We can be too. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, when we didn't deserve it, when we were in the belly of the fish, we can go spread the news 
to the Ninevites because of what God did for us. So, when we're starting to tense up, when we see that stupid article on the internet about someone else who has, who has offended the church, I saw one just today. It got me mad. When we start to get angry, we need to remember that God is compassionate. He's merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he calls us to be too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.